being accountable for when you're wrong. Like we make mistakes and we need to share those mistakes and not try to hide like we, we don't make mistakes. We need to earn that trust with our business partners and help them deliver value because we're all trying to deliver value to our customers. There will always be somebody stronger, faster, and smarter than you. Surviving depends on your adaptability to change. Those who are the most adaptable are dialed in. Our guest today, uh, I want to introduce him, uh, Tom Sweet. So Tom Sweet, he's the vice president of IT solutions for GM Financial. Uh, he's a global tech executive who's passionate about digital transformation and closing in on the talent shortage through continuous learning and reskilling. He's also named a tech exec to watch in 2019 by HMG Strategy. And uh, more interestingly, for those of us on LinkedIn, he has a series of video blogs called Hashtag Sweet Talk with Tom. Really good stuff. Check it out. Without further ado, let me bring up Tom Sweet. Hi, Kyle. Hey, Tom. Welcome to the show. Before we get started, uh, you got a quick disclaimer. Go for it. Sure. So my opinions today are those of, of me personally and not my employer, GM Financial. Awesome. Awesome. So, Tom, uh, what are you the most dialed into in the realm of IT? Well, right now, I, as of last week, I, I moved into a new role, uh, VP of Cloud Services. So still part of you know, my public title, I, I, IT, IT Solutions is, is our global group. And inside of that, I'm now moved over from I was in quality assurance and software development last week. And then later in the week, I, I moved in uh, with a reorg into cloud services. So I'm real excited about that new position. So absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, our, and our topic today is creating a culture of continuous learning, right? So uh, something that a lot of us in the space, you know, we know we need, everybody knows we need that. But, you know, how do how do you create this culture of continuous learning inside of a large organization? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we jump right into that, why don't you help us set the stage for, you know, your perspective on, uh, you know, how you came up through the IT system and, you know, how how it is, how the culture is and how we can so that we can get to this new culture of continuous learning. Sure. I mean, I got into IT back in 97. Prior to that, I was civil engineering. So roads, bridges, that sort of thing. Uh, I made a switch back in 97 to NEC computer systems division testing laptops which was a great great role for me one of my favorite jobs ever and I've been in IT ever since and and what I've noticed is you always need to keep learning technology keeps changing uh, growing up in the northeast I, I saw a lot of companies come and go digital wang uh compugraphic prime computer and it just uh, in it you're always learning because companies you know do well but then another company comes out with a different product or a different solution and you know that takes the lead in the marketplace so in order for you to maintain your own uh, ability to stay employed you need to always be learning and and that's what i've been uh presenting to my teams at gmf and we can get into that in detail but in a nutshell that's that's the background yeah, no, absolutely. No, and it's super important. So, so you know, um, you see a lot of people that, you know, they'll, uh, after, you know, right now, unfortunately, some people are lo losing their jobs, right? So it's really, uh, really an important topic these days, like people are losing their jobs, and they're looking to kind of reskill. And it's, you know, we always see it like people show up to networking events when they don't have a job, but then they're not there when they do have a job, right? So maybe talk about that a little bit, like, I, that's maybe just like a perspective shift on things like going going to these places when we need them going to continuous learning when we need it sure but not but forgetting about it when we think we don't need it right? 
I mean, the golden rule is you get more by giving than receiving. So it always helps to go to those events when you do have a job and then help uh, teach or mentor or provide advice to those who are in transition. It, it's awkward because I'm part of a, a lot of IT groups, some of the same ones as you. And sometimes half the people there, are they just get laid off. Now they want to join the group. It's like, well, sometimes groups can be reticent because they don't want the person to then leave once he or she does have a job and now they're not maintaining the, the consistency of what the organization is really for. But part of that is also taking control of your own career and always learning and always growing because when you do uh, get an interview, if you've been out of work for say a year and someone asks you what have you learned and, and you haven't really, you can't demonstrate anything, that's gonna be hard because Every person in a job interview says, oh, yeah, I'll learn anything you want. But if you can come to an employer and say, I've learned these four or five things during my time in transition, that hiring manager is going to be more apt to believe you can learn this other skill set that, that he or she needs. Right. If you haven't learned anything in a year, no one really is going to believe you. They're going to now learn something. But if you've learned five other technologies that maybe weren't exactly what they need, they're going to believe you that you can now pivot and learn something new. Oh yeah, without a, without a doubt. Um, wh what do you think? What do you think is the thing that holds people back from that the most? Just the time? I, I think it's more more the discipline. Uh, I think the time is there. Like we're all really busy, but I think a lot of people watch too much TV and maybe don't put enough investment in their their personal career. And I realize people have families. I have a family myself, right? I, I have to mow my lawn. I have to do laundry. Everything else that every, a regular person has to do. But I still find time to to invest for my own future. Uh, we have a joke at the office. I keep up with the Cloudashians, not the Kardashians. And it, it kind of went back from a little contest we had where we had uh, people could answer questions about what what. Kim's fourth child was named or what what clothing lines the Kardashians own, but they weren't able to answer as many of the cloud questions as we hoped for. So that's just kind of our running joke is, hey, you know, you can watch TV, but moderate that and then put some investment in for you too. Right, right, right. So yeah, good point. That's a really good point. Uh, with that, uh, so do you think there really is this like talent shortage? Not that there's a shortage of people to fill the positions, but a shortage of the talent, talented people in that specific role that we're looking for? I don't think so. I think there is a misunderstanding as to what skills are actually needed. Do you need someone with Terraform and Ansible and AWS, or do you need someone who understands cloud and can pivot and learn a different cloud solution? When I was hiring back for people with software developers, I wouldn't I'd say Java or C Sharp or Python or similar. Even though we were coding in C Sharp, if someone knew Java, he or she could easily pivot to C sharp. So I wasn't overly specific on this particular skill set. I needed someone who could program. I needed someone who understood DevOps. I needed someone who understood cloud. But the very, very particulars of that, no. And there's a couple jokes running around on LinkedIn right now about you know someone a job role that had 12 years of Kubernetes. Well, Kubernetes hasn't been out for 12 years. I think it's been <laughs> out for roughly five. And to say, well, we need someone with 12 years in this, it doesn't even exist. So I think people can be overly uh, prescriptive in their job roles as opposed to looking at people who have talent, who have skill, character, ability, and can you take those those individuals and in the time you've wasted trying to fill the role, they, they'd be up to speed already and doing well and helping deliver value for your clients. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But, but obviously there's like some compounding rule here, right? Like you learn this, it's going to help you learn Kubernetes, right? So mm -hmm. 
compounding role here. You can't necessarily just jump in, learn Kubernetes, be the expert on that. And for the short window of time that Kubernetes is relevant, be the, be that go-to, right? Mm -hmm. So talk about that a little bit. It's just like, Sure. I think basic operating level skills such as Unix or Linux or, or Windows will help. You know, specifically with Kubernetes, I'm studying it and I did fail the exam a couple of weeks back so I can speak to about what's in it and what isn't in it. And it's not a, a an unfair exam. You just have to be very, very fast with it. And so for Kubernetes specifically or Docker, understanding the basics of the Linux operating system, understanding the basics of programming and, and how networks work, those are fundamental skills. And if someone has fundamental networking, fundamental cloud, you know, basically an AZ 900, either the basic fundamentals or a practitioner cert from AWS, that helps helps them, right? And you can learn a lot of different uh, of that, that core knowledge through a, a basic cloud certification because it's going to touch on a number of different things such as networking and security and basic level programming and scripting. Wow, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so talking about culture, right? So the developer, the development team, I mean, you guys all have your hands full. Um, mm -hmm. it, busy work, lots of lots to do, lots to learn always. But mm -hmm. like, how do you... How do you find the time to invest in culture, right? So, what, what are you guys doing specifically um, in your world to invest in that culture? So, we're doing a lot. And one thing I did a couple of years ago is I met with the CIO, and I was able to to work with him and get permission for one hour a day of training. So, on average, my team gets one hour per day to reinvest in the future, and that can be used for innovative activities or, or learning or certifications. But it's to reinvest because you know we've been traditionally in the past very project management focused with. With, with projects and resources assigned to projects and tasks assigned to resources. And there wasn't necessarily, you know, I had a team that really had to be reskilled. I had a lot of manual testers who had to get to automation and to be developers. So I had to find a way to do that. And one, one way we did is we did the hour a day. And then we also work with Tarrant County College. I had 60 people that I paid for a special 16 week course for programming. The reason we did it that way is there are a lot of great companies that might teach programming in five days, but learning programming in five days can be tough. It's like learning Spanish or a foreign language in five days. If you go once a week for 16 weeks, it's a little bit easier to absorb. You can have homework, you can practice. So we've done that. We also, you know, bought, you know, our IT training department has a lot of subscriptions for, for Linux Academy, Pluralsight, Safari Books. And I was able to get Linux Academy for everyone on my team. And I, that came out of my budget. And we built some contest around it because you know, when I went back to to 2019, we were a little bit slow on getting some cloud certs. And, and I believe in certifications as a way to help measure skills. It's also an objective measure. So the HR teams will will look differently upon an objective measure than one that I create myself because there's, there's less bias in a, a test that Microsoft or Amazon gives because it's given to people all around the world. And we had a contest and based on people who get certified, we gave points to the certification and I sent four people to Microsoft Ignite, which was a really big conference back in 2019. A lot of individual contributors wouldn't necessarily be able to go to that because of a budget. You know, I can't send 120 people to Microsoft Ignite. There's a limited budget for to send everyone to a trip, but it, it leveled the playing field and it was done by by lottery, but based based upon the effort people put in. And at the end of that contest, we had six 60 cloud certs, which was really good. But but now when we go a year later, we have almost 450 in the organization, wow. which I think is a real game changer. Because if you're a cloud first company, you're at the leadership level, 
you got to figure out how you're going to train all these people, how you're going to get them excited. And, and people started and originally not everyone was excited about the certifications, right? Some people just didn't want to do it. Resume padding, you've heard all of that. But but now 450 people, everyone wants to do that. I put it in my team's goals, but other teams and, and team members who didn't have it in the goals still want to be part of it still. And it's really, I think we've made this change now where people are really excited about learning and, and that's a success, right? When you look back, you know, a little contest to send people at my, to Microsoft Ignite really made a big change in, in how our culture supports learning. And now a lot of other teams have, have followed along the certification path. And I think by the end of next year, we'll have over a thousand. I mean, that's what we're tracking to now, which is really great, right? We want to be known as a culture where people learn. We want GMF to be a, a employer of a choice, right? People want to come work here because they we invest in them and we care about them and they can do great work. Yeah, no, absolutely. So how do you how do you measure that uh, effectiveness, right? So are you, are you guys sending, do you guys have like smaller groups, like support groups, or you guys are just discussing this, or you just you survey the employees, or how are you, how are you measuring the effectiveness? The measure of the effectiveness of the, the, the cloud, of the training. You know, so one example is I had, you know, when just the cloud. Of, just of the culture of it, right? To like Sure, so this surveys and such, right? But, but people are happy. Right, people are staying, which is uh, important. Right, people aren't necessarily leaving for other opportunities, and they they want to do this work. And it's based on your interaction with them as a team. They're happy. They're excited. They want to do this. You joke around with them. Do I do the old way? Or do you want to do the new stuff? And they always want to do the new stuff. So yeah, right. Awesome, awesome. So in turn, that's probably prompting people to want to work 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 more hours, work longer. Now this whole pandemic thing happens. Now you actually are working longer. Do you think that we're setting ourselves up for like uh, a culture of burnout? Um, I, I hope not. We we have to ensure that people are taking their vacation. And I'm a violator of that, right? I, I my vacation is pretty much maxed out. I, I took a day off on Friday, and I actually have to plan for taking some some extended time off because I've, I've earned too much vacation and as a leader i need to set the example for my team that yes i'm taking vacation too and you shouldn't let your vacation build up so much that you've stopped earning it because you're capped so we, we need to as leaders make sure our teams are are not overworking themselves but part of it is they're going to watch us right they they'll listen to what we say but they watch what we do more so we need to set the example and and my boss is out this week for a couple of days so he's setting the example Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. You need leaders need to lead by example, uh, 100% of the time. Uh, Michael Schindler has a question for us. He says, but how do you find character and accountability while weeding through hundreds of resumes without a truly inefficient process? Sure. That's a hard question. And I think when you look at resumes, trying to look at accomplishments, right? Cause a lot of people will put six, seven pages of, you know, wrote code, tested code, et cetera, but trying to figure out in that resume, how much value did they add? What was the cost savings from the work they delivered? How much impact did they have for the customers? If you can put that type of information on your resume, it helps you to differentiate yourself and it hopefully shows your skills, characters, and abilities through that, as opposed to what, what some people do is they'll, they'll try to create a resume based on a job description, but they don't necessarily have those accomplishments or the value add that, that he or she brings to the table. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, to that point, uh, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, I know GM Financial is doing because you just said that, but do you think that most companies are spending enough time investing into their teams? I think it's changing because I, 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 I know someone that works at AWS and she's in training all the time. 
and I know people at Microsoft, and they have a, a lot of a lot of training. And I think some of these other organizations that may not have been as product focused as say as GMF or AWS, I think they're changing because I know you know individuals at at, at State Farm or at American Airlines, and, and they have dojos for DevOps, and and they really seem to be changing the corner. So I think that's important, and where it really is seen is I'm only seeing the people in industry. So the people from, from State Farm, I know American Airlines, they're part of the different IT groups in the DFW area. So I'm interacting with them, but their leadership is also interacting with other people who are of this same uh, same train of thought. So there could be some confirmation bias here where I'm only talking to people who are also on the same uh, approach that we're taking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do, do you see uh, kind of uh, in, in tune with that, uh, groups becoming smaller, like smaller teams breaking out into smaller teams? I see the approach of the, you know, the unified engineering team, the cross-functional, or you call it a T-based team. Some people call it an X-based team. I think they're pretty much the same thing. But, and I, I talked with a gentleman over at, at, at Dallas Baptist University about this. I think we disagree on title, but I think it's the same exact thing, where we want to have a cross-functional team that's broken down the silos. And, and I might be really good at UI design, and you might be really good at database, but collectively, we're responsible for delivering this product. And if you have to be on vacation because you have earned vacation, you need to take it, I... I can step in and do your work and you need to be comfortable with me doing your work. And I need to be willing to do that work while you're gone and to be able to, I may not do it as well as you or as fast as you, but that work still needs to get done. And having these, these smaller teams that reduce the handoffs and increase the flow of value to customers, because I think we really need to focus on is how do you deliver value to your customers and how you deliver quickly and, and reducing the handoffs and reducing any bureaucracy will help with that. That's a trend that I think Microsoft and Amazon have taken. And, you know, I, I'd interviewed Amazon many years back and I would have led a team that got requirements from the customer all the way to delivering and supporting it. And it was only a, a six or seven person team. So everyone had a responsibility for that value delivery. And when you have it that way, each person understands how he or she fits into the bigger picture and why that work is important to, to get done correctly. So, so are you, are you suggesting larger teams are, are more trending right now? No, I think smaller ones, moving towards smaller teams. Smaller teams, but just, yeah. just more, uh, more cross-functional, more collaborative, more cross-functional. Got more it. More cross-functional, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, can you speak to me about in terms of uh, maybe potentially gamifying the organization, like in terms of uh, like the gamifying learning? Uh, kind of touched on that earlier. Sure. So we can have contests and such, but also you know competing team versus team, because sometimes a friendly rivalry helps. And if if my team is Let's pick something a little different than certification. Let's pick pull request average review time. So when we check code in to a, a source code system, we want it reviewed to ensure it's secure and there's no mistakes made and such. Well, we can gamify the the average time it takes. If, if my team is two and a half hours on average to get that code reviewed by someone else and, and someone else is 35 minutes, we can look and say, well, why is my team a little slow on this? How do we, how do we, how do we gamify that in a way that, that makes my team excited about getting that code checked in because the sooner you check code in, the sooner the customers get it, right? And then that's a, a leading metric for us. So I, I think competing teams internally, it's also making those uh, accomplishments visible. What we've done with our certifications is we, we publicize those. So every two weeks I send out a report that shows you know, who's been certified this week. And it's exciting. And, and people, if you spell a name wrong, if they're not on there, cause they didn't tell you, they, they make sure that you know, right? So next time we get it correct. 
but it's, it's people want to be seen. So people like personal recognition. And so, you know, the gamification and the personal recognition helps drive that culture of continuous learning. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, and good to see that you guys are doing that. Like the gamification really helps. Um, so, uh, one of your pet peeves is the term like, IT and the business. Mm -hmm. uh, I see you cracking a smile there already. Yeah. Um, so, um, tell me, tell me more about that. Sure. So when, you know, whether I worked at NEC or Microsoft, a lot of companies I've worked for in the past were product delivery organizations. So when I worked at Microsoft Office or SQL Server, right, we didn't really have an IT department. You know, we worked for Office, the division that reported into the division head or SVP. But when I've worked for a couple of companies recently that where a lot of the development work is done by the IT organization. Again, at Microsoft, IT was more for the facilities and making sure the network was up, but not for the product delivery. Whereas past couple of companies, right, we have different business partners and business operations, and we have an IT team. And just about every, a lot of times, is this by using the term IT and the business, it separates the IT team from the rest of the business partners and makes IT almost feel like they're a, uh, a vendor internally. And most big IT conferences that I've been to, such as, as like Society of Information Management Symposium and such, there's always someone that gets really upset and just stands up and says, there is no IT in the business. IT is the business. And that actually happened at one of the Elevate events. Someone <laughs> when stood up and said the same thing. And I grabbed this picture and I was like, yep, yeah, see? I, uh, I, 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 I got to talk to him. I think I was there. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I think IT needs to be the order shaper, not the order taker. And part of that is working more closely with your business partners, having a better relationship with them. And part of that means being accountable for when you're wrong. Like we make mistakes and we need to share those mistakes and not try to hide like we, we don't make mistakes. We need to earn that trust with our business partners and help them deliver value because we're all trying to deliver value to our customers, right? Ultimately, the customers are the people who buy your product or service. They're not necessarily an internal group that you support, which kind of, I understand how that can be seen as a customer, but regardless, it's the people who buy your product or service. So... Absolutely. Do you think uh, the perspective of IT is the business has been made more clear, like amplified by everything, all the events that have happened? I mean, that's what I think, but I just want to. I, I, I hope so. I think it's, it's slowly changing, but it's it's also, again, confirmation bias and, and the people that we, we see at different events and such all have very similar views. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so uh, what else? What, what other technologies do you have your eye on? Well, well, Kubernetes is one, and and that is the more I learn about it, the more I hear about it. I understand the value. When as as I've been read, I read a couple articles today. One was from Forbes about continuing talking about cloud and how cloud is going to continue to to push forward. And a lot of companies who in the past may have been resistant to cloud now are seeing the value of it, especially with the COVID thing. And that, along with, again, with Kubernetes and, and Docker, which I know they're not immediately new, I see them getting more and more usage in IT because you have the ability to take your, your, your Docker containers and send them to the whole development lifecycle without having to change them each step along the way. It allows you to deliver value faster and to be more robust. Okay, awesome. So what, what I mean, uh, in terms of what you're seeing, where that's taking us, like, 
uh, in terms of like outcome, like we'll, we'll spare the spare a lot of the tech talk that you and I can geek out on. Yeah. Like, in terms of like the actual outcome, like where, where, where do you see us? Where do you see us going here? Like like being able to spin up uh, technology much faster than before because of these things, right? These things are just helping us. They're enabling us. Sure, they're enabling you to to pivot faster and faster, right? Instead of projects that used to take nine weeks excuse me, nine months, now you can get things done in six weeks. And instead of getting taking three months to get a, a machine racked and mounted and the virtual you know, OS put on it, you can do that in minutes in the cloud. And the same thing, the other piece that I really like is serverless. When you, so serverless is basically when you don't need a server, you just put your, your function or your method into Amazon or Google or, or Microsoft and it runs your code for you. So you don't have to worry about security. You don't have to worry about provisioning those systems. You just pay every time that function's called. I see serverless is, is another great technology that's coming. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, during these times, like we, we've seen um, actually a, a spike in outages, like cloud-based outages, just because there's been a, um, a huge demand on resources. So mm -hmm. um, with, with regards to like microservices and split cloud architecture, Mm -hmm. uh, being like that, you know, on that forefront. Um, mm -hmm. Do you can you speak on that a little bit as well? Sure. I think that I, I like the idea of, of maybe being in two different clouds. I think when you start looking at all the work, all the governance, and because I'm now involved in all of this, right? All the governance, all the security pieces, all the policy. Getting one cloud really good is going to take some time. So I, I see multi-cloud coming. I just it's it's a probably a ways off for a lot of companies because once you really start digging into making sure that you're secure in the cloud and your governance is set and you have an understanding it's of what you have it, it's it takes a lot of effort it's one thing to go build virtual machines on your own personal azure but now when you look at a, a huge company with you know thousands and thousands of resources in the cloud it can be overwhelming and you want to make sure that you're, you're doing it right and i think a lot of companies are going to invest in and just making sure they get the first one right before they j jump into a second one oh yeah absolutely um i mean it gets increasingly complicated right because like gcp azure aws you know they're they're all clouds but they all speak different languages right it's like italian french and english right so <laughs> it's completely different so um but you know we're, we're still seeing trends where companies are lifting and shifting from one cloud to the next so it's still getting done uh -huh. the tremendous tremendous haul right uh -huh. yeah yeah i i i I know of one company that at one I don't I can't say their name but but they they were really trying to be cloud agnostic but then they ran some numbers and and based on a particular operation that they were doing after running the numbers they went full in on one of the the major cloud providers because in in that particular case that was very very cost effective for them and the amount of money they were saving was going to outweigh any cost of changing later so so those are those numbers and it's when you start running numbers, there's a lot of different ways to interpret things. And it's also lost opportunity cost, right? What is it? How do you measure those? Those are harder to measure. If you, if I don't do this, what could I lose in the marketplace? And those are abstract concepts. No, absolutely. No, I love the conversation so far, Tom. Um, you know, with respect to uh, hashtag sweet talk with Tom, let me put that, throw that banner up here for you guys. Uh, follow this on LinkedIn, hashtag sweet talk with Tom. You yeah. know, the motivation behind doing these videos, it comes from your, your, passion for continuous education and you mm -hmm. trying to educate others. I mean, what, uh, t t tell me some good stories that have come from that. I think 
what what happened is it's it's really providing an ability for for other people to feel like IT leaders are approachable. I try to be authentic and, you know, I'm shooting videos on my mailbox or in my backyard of my garden. And the feedback I get from that is, is people feel like, you know, it's authentic and therefore they can approach me or other people like me. You know, one of the things that I, I've learned from, from different IT groups I'm part of is, is people at the CIO level aren't any different than me. They may have different experiences and different backgrounds, but they're not special. They're not specifically different. And what I'm trying to get across with my video series is I'm not really different than anyone else. And I, I want to share what I have. I want to be able to give back. I still think it's better to give than receive. And, and that's what I try to do with those videos. Uh, excellent. I love that. I love all of that resonates with all, all of me as well. Um, so uh, mentorship, mentoring, uh, I know you, I know you've done participated in, in a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. Any stories or insights to share with us there? Sure. I, I think mentorship in your own company is great. But what I've tried to do with a number of my own leaders is to get the mentors outside the company. And, you know, I have three, three of my officers, well, two and, and a third, right? I had them, I was able to get the mentorship from, you know, someone who's a CTO for the state of Hawaii or someone who is a former CIO at another company or a current CIO and to get a different perspective than, than you know, my company can give. And again, if they have a challenge with me, right, having a third party, you know, that they can go to that's separate from the company that allows them to, to understand, you know, maybe I have a problem they can't and I need to know that, or maybe they have a problem, right? But it just try to get a, an unbiased, third party as a mentor to help help you know provide a different perspective than I can provide. Awesome. Awesome. Um, the intersection of life and business, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received that you could give us? Hmm. So so one particular situation is back when I worked for the Mass Highway Department. It was my first job out of college. I'd been there four years as a civil engineer one and I, I thought I might want to do something different and my boss, his brother had worked at the highway department, but was working for a consulting company. So I was able to get an interview. And first question was what you have to offer. And he says, and I said, I have four years experience. He says, stop right there. You have one year experience four times. And, and so that was like, Ooh, that hurts. Right. And he had done my job 25 years earlier. So I couldn't really argue the point, but you know, understanding you need to keep growing and keep you know, improving. And, and I've, I've tried to hold true to that as much as possible. You know, always going for the next thing, always seeing where you need to go and setting those goals and, and finding a path to reach them. Because if not, you know, life can just fly by and then you're eight, nine years in the same role. And, and then when you, you need to get a new job, someone looks and says, well, you know, this person has been in a role for nine years you know, why hasn't he or she moved up, right? And, and so those those are the conversations I've seen happen and people have been, been hurt by that. So so getting back, it's it's just making sure you're always growing and always looking for the next thing and, and whether it be a learning new skill or getting a new experience. Awesome. Not necessarily a new job, but, but continuing to grow. Awesome. Is there a recent or favorite best business book that you've read? Okay, the, the most recent one is Extreme Ownership, and uh, this was mentioned at one of the Elevate IT talks by uh, the, the CIO of Elbit Systems. I, I was able to get the book. I'm like, wow, this is really good, and there's some lessons in here for me specifically, some things I've done wrong, and I've uh, sent it to my team as required reading. I said, look, I'll pay for it. Just you need to read the book because there's lessons in here for all of us, and 
it's a great book and uh so extreme ownership absolutely absolutely um and then uh last thing here um is there something you do uh, on the daily or like a like an app or resource you could share with us that helps i already know what you do daily it's continuous learning but an mm -hmm. app or resource that you could share with us that that helps you do that so so i'm using linux academy i have my own personal subscription so separate from the, the company subscription I, I have my own personal subscription that i pay for uh, they were recently purchased by a cloud.guru and i think uh, there'll be some integration of those two platforms soon i've used probably 10 or 12 courses from there i'm going through some of the, the kubernetes stuff and the linux stuff now i think that's great for me that's a really great great a great learning tool and uh, i've got all my cloud certifications by learning you know from that, that platform. Thanks for listening to Dialed In. This show is brought to you by Acuerdo.io, the world's first orchestration agency for the future of work. Go check us out at Acuerdo.io. This show can also not be put together without great partners, Robin Austin and Casey Yarbrough of Elevate Exchange, membership for IT leaders. And remember, to win in life, to win in business, to win in your career, it's not about being the strongest, the fastest, or the smartest. It's simply about being the most adaptable to change, the most dialed in.